0: Section 5 of Under the Greenwood Tree this librivox recording is in the public domain Under the Greenwood Tree by Thomas Hardy part 1 chapter 5 the listeners when the expectant stillness consequent upon the exclamation had nearly died out of them all an increasing light made itself visible in one of the windows of the upper floor it came so close to the blind that the exact position of the flame could be perceived from the outside Remaining steady for an instant, the blind went upward from before it, revealing to thirty concentrated eyes a young girl, framed as a picture by the window-architrave, and unconsciously illuminating her countenance to a vivid brightness by a candle she held in her left hand, close to her face, her right hand being extended to the side of the window. She was wrapped in a white robe of some kind, whilst down her shoulders fell a twining profusion of marvellously rich hair in a wild disorder which proclaimed it to be only during the invisible hours of the night that such a condition was discoverable. Her bright eyes were looking into the grey world outside with an uncertain expression, oscillating between courage and shyness, which, as she recognised the semicircular group of dark forms gathered before her, transformed itself into pleasant resolution. Opening the window, she said lightly and warmly, Thank you, singers, thank you. Together went the window, quickly and quietly, and the blind started downward on its return to its place. Her fair forehead and eyes vanished, her little mouth, her neck and shoulders, all of her. Then the spot of candlelight shone nebulously as before, then it moved away. "'How pretty!' exclaimed Dick Dewey. "'If she'd been real waxwork, she couldn't have been comelier,' said Michael Mayo as near a thing to a spiritual vision as ever I wish to see, said tranter dewy. Oh, such I never, never see, said Leif fervently. All the rest, after clearing their throats and adjusting their hats, agreed that such a sight was worth singing for. Now to farmer shiners and then replenish our insides, father, said the tranter. We all my heart, said old William, shouldering his bass vial. Farmer Shiner's was a queer lump of a house, standing at the corner of a lane that ran into the principal thoroughfare. The upper windows were much wider than they were high, and this feature, together with a broad bay window where the door might have been expected, gave it by day the aspect of a human countenance turned askance, and wearing a sly and wicked leer. To-night nothing was visible but the outline of the roof upon the sky." The front of this building was reached, and the preliminaries arranged as usual. Four breaths and number thirty-two, Behold the morning star,' said old William. They had reached the end of the second verse, and the fiddlers were doing the up-bow stroke previously to pouring forth the opening chord of the third verse, when, without a light appearing or any signal being given, a roaring voice exclaimed, "'Shut up, woolly! Don't make your blaring row here!' A feller wi a headache enough to split his skull likes a quiet night. Slam went the window. "'Hullo! that's a ugly blow for we, said the tranter in a keenly appreciative voice, and turning to his companions. Finish the carol, or we'll be friends of harmony, commanded old William, and they continued to the end. Four breaths, and number nineteen, said William firmly give it him well the choir can't be insulted in this manner a light now flashed into existence the window opened and the farmer stood revealed as one in a terrific passion drownin drownin the tranter cried fiddling frantically play fortissimi and is spaking fortissimi said michael male and the music and singing waxed so loud that it was impossible to know what mr shiner had said was saying, or was about to say, but wildly flinging his arms and body about in the forms of capital X's and Y's, he appeared to utter enough invectives to consign the whole parish to perdition. "'Very unseemly, very,' said old William, as they retired. "'Never such a dreadful scene in the whole round of my carol practice. Never! And he a church warden!' Only a drop o' drink got into his head, said the tranter. Man's well enough when he's in his religious frame. He's in his worldly frame now. Must ask him to our bit of a party to morrow night, I suppose, and so put in humour again. We bear no mortal man ill will. They now crossed Melstock Bridge, and went along an embowered path beside the Froom towards the church and vicarage, meeting Voss with the hot mead and bread and cheese as they were approaching the churchyard. This determined them to eat and drink before proceeding further, and they entered the church and ascended to the gallery. The lanterns were opened and the whole body sat round against the walls on benches and whatever else was available and made a hearty meal. In the pauses of conversation there could be heard through the floor overhead, a little world of undertones and creaks, from the halting clockwork, which never spread further than the tower they were born in, and raised in the more meditative minds a fancy that here lay the direct pathway of time. Having done eating and drinking, they again tuned the instruments, and once more the party emerged into the night air. "'Where's Dick?' said old Dewey. Every man looked round upon every other man, as if Dick might have been transmuted into one or the other, and then they said they didn't know. "'Well, now, that's what I call very nasty of Master Dickie that I do,' said Michael Mayle. "'He've clinked off home along, depend upon it,' another suggested, though not quite believing that he had. "'Dick!' exclaimed the tranter, and his voice rolled sonorously forth among the ewes. He suspended his muscles rigid as stone whilst listening for an answer, and finding he listened in vain, turned to the assemblage. "'The treble man, too! Now, if he'd been a tenor or counter-chap, we might have contrived the rest up without him, you see, but for a choir to lose the treble—' "'Why, my sonnies, you may so well lose your—' The tranter paused, unable to mention an image vast enough for the occasion—' "'Your head at once,' suggested Mr. Penny. The tranter moved apace, as if it were puerile of people to complete sentences when they were more pressing things to be done. "'Was ever heard such a thing as a young man leaving his work half done and turning tail like this?' "'Never,' replied Bowman, in a tone signifying that he was the last man in the world to wish to withhold the formal finish required of him. "'I hope no fatal tragedy has overtook the lad,' "'said his grandfather. "'Oh, no,' replied Tranter Dewey placidly. "'Wonder where he's put that there fiddle of his. "'Why, that fiddle costs thirty shillings, "'and good words besides. "'Somewhere in the damp, without doubt, "'that instrument will be unglued and spoilt in ten minutes. Ten, ay, two. "'What in the name of righteousness can have happened?' "'said old William more uneasily. "'Perhaps he's drownded.' Leaving their lanterns and instruments in the belfry, they retraced their steps along the waterside track. A strappin lad like Dick dunno better than let anything happen unawares, Reuben remarked. There's sure to be some poor little scram reason for it, staring us in the face all the while. He lowered his voice to a mysterious tone. Neighbours, have ye noticed any sign of a scornful woman in his head? Or such like. Not a glimmer of such a body. He's as clear as water yet. And Dickie said he should never marry, cried Jimmy, but live at home, always, along with mother and we. Aye, aye, my sonny, every lad has said that in his time. They had now again reached the precincts of Mr. Shiner's, but hearing nobody in that direction, one or two went across to the schoolhouse. A light was still burning in the bedroom, and though the blind was down, the window had been slightly opened, as if to admit the distant notes of the carolers to the ears of the occupant of the room. Opposite the window, leaning motionless against a beech-tree, was the lost man, his arms folded, his head thrown back, his eyes fixed upon the illuminated lattice. "'Why, Dick, is that thee? What's this doing here?' Dick's body instantly flew into a more rational attitude, and his head was seen to turn east and west in the gloom, as if endeavouring to discern some proper answer to that question. And at last he said, in rather feeble accents, "'Nothing, father.' "'This take long enough time about it, then, upon my body,' said the tranter, as they all turned anew towards the vicarage. "'I thought you hadn't done having snap in the gallery,' said Dick." "'Why, we've been traipsing and rambling about, looking everywhere, and thinking you've done fifty deathly things, and here have you been at nothing at all.' "'The stupidness lies in that point of it being nothing at all,' murmured Mr. Spinks. The Vicarage Front was their next field of operation, and Mr. Maybold, the lately arrived incumbent, duly received his share of the night's harmonies.' It was hoped that by reason of his profession he would have been led to open the window, and an extra carol in quick time was added to draw him forth. But Mr. Maybold made no stir. A bad sign, said old William, shaking his head. However, at that same instant a musical voice was heard exclaiming from inner depths of bedclothes, Thanks, villagers. What did he say? asked Bowman, who was rather dull of hearing. Bowman's voice, being therefore loud, had been heard by the vicar within. "'I said thanks, villagers,' cried the vicar again. "'Oh, we didn't hear ye the first time,' cried Bowman. "'Now, don't for heaven's sake spoil the young man's temper by answering like that,' said the tranter. "'You won't do that, my friends,' the vicar shouted. "'Well, to be sure, what?' "'Ears,' said Mr. Penny in a whisper, "'beats any horse or dog in the parish, "'and depend upon't. "'That's a sign he's a proper, clever chap.' "'We shall see that in time,' said the tranter. Old William, in his gratitude for such thanks "'from a comparatively new inhabitant, "'was anxious to play all the tunes over again, "'but renounced his desire on being reminded by Reuben, that it would be best to leave well alone.' "'Now, putting two and two together,' the tranter continued, as they went their way over the hill and across to the last remaining houses, that is, in the form of that young female vision we zied just now, and this young tenor-voiced parson, my belief is she'll wind windin' round her finger and twist the poor young feller about like the figure of eight, that she will so, my sonnies! End of section five Recording by Rachel Linton, Bristol, UK.